we got it together, didn't we? We've definitely got our thing together, don't we? Isn't that nice? <laughs> and we are back in the effing universe. One hour of blackout power thinking. Um, I have my guest host with me, Dr. Moore. Say hello to the people. Assalamu alaikum. Peace to the universe. Peace to the gods and the earth. Indeed. And I have our sister with us, Sister Ebony. What's going on? Ooh, I'm all right. Um, we left off last night with the talking about um, the different kinds of pictures, including movies and films and television, and the images, including IG and uh, Facebook Live, YouTube Live, Zoom, that will um, have an effect on you, whether you believe it or not, and um, out of these images, the topic of racial equality is our focus in one hour of black power thinking, and that's where we left off. Um, Any opening statements, Dr. Moore? Yes, sir. Any opening statements from you, Sister Ebony? Not at all. Okay, we're going to well, be... You know yes, sir. I, 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 I will say this. I know you like to start off by giving um, salutations to, to the Dill uh, Departed. Mm-hmm. So, um, Larry King uh, passed away. You got to no. be kidding me. Wow, really? When? So we had, Hank, we had Hank Aaron um, the day before. Right. And we had Larry King today. Wow. And an Damn, iconic. And one of my girls from back in the 90s died yesterday. Yeah. Friday. She had lupus and uh, she got COVID. Wow. And she got over the lupus. I mean, she got over the COVID, but. The body never bounced back, man. Yep. Sorry to hear that. My condolences. Rest in peace. Yeah, condolences. Yeah, that's why we got to tell people we love them. Give them their flowers while they're alive. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Larry King is such an iconic figure. Uh-huh. He, um was the image of a, 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 a couple of multiple generations. Uh, he, he had been on the air as um, a talk show host, and then he started doing infomercials with the same type of format, but um, a little more intimate. I think he was doing the interviews from his study or something like that. He had a... A child at his age. Uh, I think him and uh, David, um, 
Mr. Comedian David Letterman, uh, one of the people that have had children way into their senior years. Um, And one of the tragedies of that type of uh, adventure is that you're you're probably going to be a deceased dad before your child reaches their teens. Uh, my father had me at 44. Um, my father had me at 44, and my mother was 33. So I, I, I was an old head <laughs> coming out the womb. Not nine pounds four ounces. I was. Um, we were some pretty smart kids, but um, and some pretty mature and well-behaved kids. We we had our uh, our um little aberration from being proper proper and um, having a little coof, but um for the most part we were pretty docile kids. The only thing that was different about us with older parents, we weren't very athletic. We had to sit out most of. Um, the athleticism that other kids enjoyed. Uh, we all had some type of sickness. Johnny had asthma. I had the sickle cell trait, and uh, Mike just uh, was just Mike. <laughs> he, um, I, I think, he was a little autistic in in some regards. Um, he had difficulties learning. But he was very skillful at playing the piano, very musical and very um, adroit at dancing. So I was good with art and drawing, and Mike was good with um, music and dance. And Johnny was just a criminal. <laughs> so that's just some background. Um... Welcome to DFN Universe. If you're out in the audience, we are live on Zoom at 2.28 a.m. in the morning of Sunday, January 24, 2021. You don't think that you'd be saying that. At least I didn't think that I'd be saying that. I've come a long way. I still have a long way to go. Um, This podcast is about black power and the black power we want to discuss is in the form of the way we think about different issues. Um, We usually start off with one issue and um, I'll let you guys weigh in on anything I just said or something new. Mm-hmm. Right. In, in the video, uh, there was a conversation that was taking place about black people, um, whether or not they over overuse um, being being victim. Right. Victimized. Right. Being 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 victimized. Um. 
Normally, I normally I send this to brother Douglas, and then he sends it to other people. So, um, it's you know, my, it's my, direct connection. It's my fault. We got a one-way street. You reach me, I don't reach you. <laughs> <laughs> That's that agreement I'm got. Well, I'll pause that. I'll pause that. And what were you saying about the video, bro? She can no, chime in. Oh, the um. Yeah, I I sent you like four or five paragraphs of uh, response, and I I know everybody on Facebook that I posted that to is probably like, who the fuck is this nigga <laughs> with all of that damn text <laughs> and why? I know nobody read it, but um, what I did gather from the discussion. I was, first of all, I had to say that I was fortunate to see that a discussion about black issues, even though it started off kind of rocky, somehow they were able to calm down the rhetoric and get into a, a back and forth discussion where each person was learning from each other rather than trying to overtalk each other. What was not surprising was the young brother that had his take on victimization and racialization and discrimination, and he says he, d- he doesn't feel the effects of it, which is true for, for a, a minority of people. They don't feel the effects of it till you get pulled over at a traffic light. And you have a gun stuck in your face. Um, now, for some, in even smaller minority, they may not even never have that experience. So they won't even know what that is about. And if they're successful, adding to that non-experience or non-exposure to racism, they may see that uh, we are... Uh, whining and uh, crybabies but I I think um, that shouldn't be the issue if you've never experienced racism like that nor should it be the issue that uh, you've succeeded where others have failed and people should take a page from your book and do what you did and then they wouldn't um, feel racism I think that although it's very subjective, it can be subjective. I think that everybody has a right to be subjective. You you got the right to talk about your own experiences. However, when it comes to racism, we don't feel it simply as individuals. We feel it as a race of people. And we are rejected, um, marginalized, and oppress, not as an individual. You may experience it as an individual, but you can see it in the numbers of things that we have achieved and have not achieved. The the rights that we have and the rights that we think we have and the rights that we still have yet to get. 
And that's the way we have to look at it. If we look at it on an individual basis, then we're being biased. But if we look at it as a collective, which is what I said in those five paragraphs, we then understand that it's not my personal experience that counts, but um, what we feel as a whole. And to show what we feel as a whole, you just need to look at the foreign, foreigners that come here. They have an understanding of us if we don't understand it ourselves. Stay away from them niggas. That is the generalization that foreigners come to this country with. And if they don't have that knowledge before they come here, by the time they get here and spend a week in this country, a month in this country, a year in this country, they will have adapted that same racial profile of black people. I better stay away from these niggas because the imagery that is put out into the television is that we're this feral bunch of uh, animals and some of us are achieving. We can we can be around um, Michael Jordan, but we can't be around the rest of you niggas. And I'll shut up on that note. <laughs> But see, I'm going to tell you something. From my perspective, you know, I married a man from Nigeria, brought him to the country. Mm-hmm. Okay? From being in the Nigerian churches, the Yoruba churches, mm-hmm. they consider themselves African rather than identifying as being black. Of course. Because that's a bad thing. Right. You know, they're better than us. Right. And so they, they came over here and taught us that, that we should be African too. It's just like the Arabs came over here and taught us that we should be Arab. It's just like uh, Master Farad Muhammad came here and taught us that we should be God. And so there's going to be different experiences. And we tend to acclimate to those we're introduced to. And so we have different names, but I think black is not merely a color. It's an experience. And you would have to have been in the um, North America or the Caribbean to understand that experience to some degree. More so in uh, North America than in the Caribbean, but they understand the same slave master that um, came and took them, took us. Mighty quiet, Dr. Moore. <laughs> I'm just listening. I'm, I'm, I'm listening. Um, so, um, okay. <clears throat> so, I, I think the discussion um, with the uh, Texas Institute started off
whether or not black people play victim. Um, I think I disagree with the fact that um, what I thought black people played victim. Um, I don't know. I think that black people can play victim. I think that, you know, one, I think identifying yourself as a victim is can, can be problematic, first and foremost. But playing victim is problematic to me because it, it, it to me it trivializes the experiences that black people experience in America. Right? So if, if you're going to say, oh, I think you guys play victim, then it's almost to deny the reality that black people are victimized. Whether they um, see themselves as a victim or not, doesn't mean that they are not victimized in this country, right? It's, it's almost like in psychology, if someone says, oh, you're paranoid, right? It doesn't mean that you aren't being followed. Hmm. Right? So it's like, it, 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 if, if, you, if someone calls you paranoid because, you know, you are a black person in America and you say, you know, I, I have these paranoid feelings, you know, it doesn't mean that things aren't happening, you know, to you. So if you're going into a store and you're being followed, right, doesn't mean that you are being victimized. So I think to, to use words that black people play victim, I think that that's kind of that was kind of the error to me. Because I don't know that I see black people as playing victims, but I do see black people being victimized. Yes, sir. You know, and so if we look at a person like Trayvon Martin or Ahmaud Arbery, you know, or George Floyd, you know, all these different things, you know, the Central Park Five, all these different things that, you know, continue to happen to black people in America, it's not fair to ask ask them, in my opinion, whether or not black people play victim. Because I don't see the win in playing victim. Because even if they are, they aren't winning. Hmm. So, Yes, now, to, 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 to just to go back to kind of something you and Sister Ebony were talking about <clears throat> in terms of, uh, she said she had married a, um, a person from Nigeria and attended a Nigerian church. And these people don't identify as black people, but they identify as Africans. And then you talked about uh, people coming from other countries and um, adopting these or attempting to get a Amer- black American Are they aren't um, 
down south and say, oh, man, the land is cheap. You know, I can grow a farm. I can do all these, these different things. Yes, sir. And, may come from, and go down there and be more prosperous. The same way someone from Alabama might be able to go to New York to take advantage of the opportunities that you as a native never was able to take uh, advantage of. Yes, sir. Any conclusion? So, so in you know to, to, to tie it all in, um, in terms of being a victim, I think um, we have to be careful in identifying ourselves as victims because when you identify as a victim, what you do is you relinquish power to be able to con- control or to change your situation. So you so. You know, so you don't want to ever see yourself as a victim because when you see yourself as a victim, you allow yourself to stay in a role in which you have no control. Yep. So that's why, if I go back to my the original question that was asked, do black people play victim? I don't know that I like the question because to be a victim is to, is to, is to be powerless and not have any control over the situation. But to be the question is flawed in that it it has uh, two negative connotations one being playing which is somehow um, like it's not real connotes some t- right connotes some type of um, lying or, or oversensification or oversensitivity to, to a problem and uh, the other one word is victim um the question could have simply been asked um do black people see themselves as survivors like in a a rape case scenario one of the things that we've learned over the years is that women can empower themselves by not calling themselves victims but calling themselves a rape survivor it's just a, a play on words but um it has a, a mental um, invigoration and um, positive outlook or outcome to look forward to having gone through such a harrowing experience. So uh, I think the, the, where it starts off wrong is the questioning and it, you have to then begin to ask why is it why is the question formed in that manner? Uh, the other thing that I had got, had to say in conclusion to that question was the fact that um, I was looking back in my notes. I don't see it now. I'll come back to it. Uh, any conclusion on that, Sister Ebony? No. You know, I... I... I just want to add that um, I thought that what was really interesting in terms of um, listening to that uh, that dialogue that took place with, with all those people on the panel mm-hmm. and all those people being black. I think what, what was interesting, and this is kind of goes back to what you and I go back for um, in terms of conversation, is that um, you often talk to me about um, unification of black folks and black people being on one page. And, and how 
come back we at the uh 27 mark uh, 27 minute mark in df universe we'll discuss this success that uh some black people are experiencing and um their thought process being dissimilar to the whole um not necessarily right or wrong but simply different from the way majority black people experience racism in America and uh, experience success in America. And we'll be right back after these messages. DF and Universe, one hour black power thinking. You can join us on Zoom. Uh, if you go to DFN Universe, all one word, you can join the conversation live or you can leave a message at one three four seven seven five four seven four four zero we'll be right back peace FN Universe. One hour black power thinking and we want to go right back to our subject. Um, Success amongst black Americans and does it change the dynamic of their thinking and is it conducive to black power thinking? Somewhere along those lines we're going to continue our discussion doesn't have to be absolutely those discussion points, but um, that's where we left off. Dr. Moore, what do you think? Yes, sir. Um, well, let me be sure of the question. What's, what's the question? 
the um the the response that the young man gave when asked the question are we playing victims as black people he he brought up the fact that he was successful and so he didn't feel racism and um we wanted to break down that type of response because it's not an unfamiliar response we see it from the more successful people not all successful people black success but somehow it gets into the mindset of especially a young person that hasn't experienced racism at all in that context that um there's some way to just ignore what's going on and just be successful so it it comes off as condescending to older black people that have experienced racism and have not experienced success and um it's kind of off-putting to hear that from a young person well i don't experience racism i'm just a success and um i don't see what's going on so maybe black people are being uh playing the rest race card too much he, he totally agreed with the concept of playing a race card too much excessive or oversensitization to racism. Well, I don't know that he said that um, he saw himself as successful, but he did say that he, he believed that black people did play um, the victim. And I think that that, that is what was, was problematic. And I think in our last conversation, I was using the example of Skip Gates, who is, was a, um, a professor at a prestigious black university and had an encounter with a white police officer who didn't believe that he was a homeowner of his home and asked him to show ID or to step off, um, step off, step off of his porch. And he replied to the... Um, the police officer tell your mama to step off the porch. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I don't know that he had experienced um, a lot of racism prior to, or at least at that time. But I think he felt a particular way in being and being asked that by this white police officer. So, um, going back to what the, the black guy said in the video that we watched earlier. In terms of him saying that he felt like black people played the victim, I again think that it's problematic. Um, one to see yourself as, as the victim, but two um, to deny black people being victimized was a, was and is a problem. So um, I think where it takes me, and and I don't want to lose um, lose ourselves in in the conversation or the topic. Um,
know that we ever get to the point where all black people share the same perspective. Whether you have money, whether you're quote unquote successful or not, I don't know how we get to the point where all black people share the same perspective. Um, you and I had a conversation uh, the other night talking about this movie uh, by Regina King, One Night in Miami, right? And and where there was there was uh, Malcolm X, Muhammad Ali, Sam Cooke, and Jim Brown allegedly, and they were having a conversation. And so this all took place one night in Miami. Now you and I saw the same movie, and there were a number of other people that saw the same movie, but we all left there with a different black perspective, right? And and so going back to what you and I often debate about is black people having or getting to the point of having a shared perspective as it relates to black people. And I um, constantly push back with you in terms of thinking that black people will ever get to that point where we all share a common black perspective. Yes, sir. Um, I think it, um, it, it, um, goes over the point it should should go without saying that um it's never all in any situation because it's such an easy point to argue um the question was are there successful black people that consider themselves to be above racism like where does that type of um mindset come from that um when you ask them any question on racism they will instead of answer the question of racism they will dismiss that and talk about their success and how come other black people aren't being successful like they're being successful i remember distinctly what the young man said he he used his success as the measure of where black people are failing and he c- concluded that it was not racism that was the reason for black people as a whole not as all but the majority of black people failures are not because of racism but because they're not being successful in America. So he he negated any uh, properties of racism for success. That our, our problem is not systemic racism. It, it's a failure to succeed or achieve. That's exactly what he said. I, I, I'm not putting words in his mouth. That's what he said. And... Um, I had um uh not a no I wasn't judgmental of that. I just um uh, I just have a fear that as we grow and get these success on an individual level that there's going to be whole generations of black people that said uh, we don't experience racism anymore. So that's not the problem of what's wrong with the masses. The masses 
are a failure because they haven't succeeded. And this happened with uh, W.E.D. Du Bois, uh, Benjamin Banneker. Um, Of all of these post-slavery societies, there were certain elite that began to believe that racism didn't exist because they didn't experience it. That's the thought that I want to dismantle or at least discuss in this podcast tonight. It is part of our discussion, not whether all people think alike. He didn't say that it didn't exist. He said that uh, 
it didn't affect him because he was successful. He didn't say it didn't exist. He just said it doesn't affect him because he's successful. Yeah, well, that again, that we're beyond talking. that point of racism. Okay, so again, I think the word success is relative. And if, if he's in a room with other black people that are telling him something different, then that in then that in and of itself speaks volumes. Because if you if, if you're in a room with other black people and you're saying, well, um, I'm successful, so racism didn't affect me. Well, if it affected other people in the room, that means it affected you, hmm. right? It's almost like well, it's almost like what Martin Luther King said, right? He said if, if there was racism one place, hmm. then that racism one place affected everybody all over the place, hmm. right? So even if it's not affecting you directly, it's affecting you indirectly. I remember. Hearing um, the minister talk, right? Mm. The minister uh, was saying that he was in like a barbershop or something like that. And he was saying that uh, he was having a conversation and a man engaged the conversation. And, and, and the man engaged in the conversation, he said, Oh, minister, I hear you talking all this black people stuff. Um, and let me just say, you know, I raised all of my kids. And they all went to college, and they're all successful, and they're all doing well. So I don't, you know, understand what you mean when you talk about black people not making and black people not being successful. And the minister said, well, let me just say that I'm proud of you for what you were able to do with you and your family. But because you didn't think enough of your neighbor's child and your neighbor's family to share a little bit of what you had, that your neighbor's child might one day shoot your child down in the alley and take what your child has because he didn't have it. Hmm. So, so to me, in, 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 in someone saying, oh, well, this didn't affect me, to me, it turns a blind, an intentional blind eye and saying, I'm, I don't want to look at my neighbor's child. Hmm. Because there's no way you're going to be a black man, regardless of the amount of money that you have, and not be able to empathize or not be able to understand what happened with Trayvon Martin or George Floyd or the Central Park Five or any other other atrocities that happened to black men and women in this country. Yes, sir. Sister Ebony. Yeah, I'm here. Any comments? Black success um, um, somehow stimulating people to say that they don't experience racism because they're successful. Any comment on it? Well, no, I can't comment on that. <laughs> You know, everybody has an opinion. You know, what some people consider successful, others may not. Yes. You know, being able to get your kids through high school 
brown people may consider successful. Hmm. I, my daughter made it through high school without getting pregnant. Hmm. That may be successful versus making it on to get your master's and your doctorate. You know, when I raise my children, there's a certain expectation. College is the expectation. Hmm. You know, and somebody told me, oh, you're expecting your children to be successful. No, I said, I'm expecting them to do well. Hmm. You know, but I realized that not all of that doing well comes through college. Mm -hmm. But I want them to at least have that experience because I had that experience. And then after they freshman year, let them choose, you know, I'm going to go to trade school. I ain't all about this book shit. Mm. Do, do you know people that... um? say that they don't experience racism? Yeah. Well, my ex-husband tried to say it. Who? You know, but it wasn't until he got to dealing with white women that he said the cops were racist. Mm. While he was dealing with me, they weren't racist. Himself messing with a white woman. I presume this is the African. <laughs> yeah, this African. That's the only ex-husband I got. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. What about you, Doctor Moore? <laughs> well, I, I think it's I. I think it's pretty ignorant, in, in my opinion, for someone to say that they have not experienced racism. But he, he's from say. Africa. I, I can see them saying that because. They have a different mindset when they come here. They have somehow believed that they're 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 closer to white people than 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 uh, black Americans. <laughs> See, <laughs> I know some Africans. They they don't like that. They consider themselves. They don't consider themselves white, but they consider. You remember what Minister Farrakhan said: the nearness to master. They have a uh, nearness to Pharaoh. <laughs> they have that concept of being better than than uh, Black Americans when they come to this country, and and they yeah. they look down on us because they 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 were like the the guy in in the video that you sent me. They're like you niggas are unsuccessful. <laughs> it's not racism. Stop playing the victim card. It's not. Um, that racism that's keeping you down. You niggas are just unsuccessful. We come here from Africa, and we have stores. We we we're merchants. You you niggas are just sitting here doing nothing. That's the way they look at Black Americans. So I I don't I don't see it as a problem believing that one bit. I see it now. Because they're not willing to identify as being black. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of you would think the church folk mm-hmm. would be a little bit more um, closer to God mm-hmm. as they proclaim. Mm-hmm. But they would walk up to my husband and not greet 
send you to talk mm-hmm. in their language. Mm-hmm. You know, as if I was non-existent. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't have did that to a Nigerian woman mm-hmm. or a white woman. Mm-hmm. You know, but it's all in my mind. Yep. And that's not true. That I'm like Dr. Moore. I don't agree with that. Right. I don't either. Yeah. Yeah. I, so, to, to me, I think that's delusional thinking. And I think that, um, you know, you can self-identify as whatever you want to self-identify as. You know, so you be a black African or a black Nigerian coming to America, and you see yourself as that. But I can guarantee you, when you get pulled over by a police officer, you're going to get the same nigga treatment that the other black people get. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like I said, when he was messing around with that white woman, then he want to say the cops are racist. <laughs> I, I, I was given an, an example um, in um, the mosque because they also, when you, when you get to these um, some... I have to be very clear to say some some of these black Muslims that are um, practicing Islam in America that are black Americans you couldn't tell them from the black African Muslims because they say like the black African Muslims say, oh then no brother there's no racism in Islam the Arabs, you couldn't tell them from black Americans that were born here, that went through, lived in the same project as you and I, would say, oh, no, brother, there's no racism in Islam. And we know that that shit ain't true. Because them same Arabs on the corner would sell your mother and father ham. <laughs> they would <laughs> take credit from your mother and father and charge you extra money because they know you didn't have the money for it. And they would give you credit at a a souped-up price on all of the the tainted meat that they're selling you. The meat wasn't even no good. Uh But this is called uh, opportunity. It's not called racism. But we, who have to eat that meat and have to go beg the, the, the corner store man to give my mom's credit until she get a check at the end of the week. We know it as racism. It ain't playing no victim. It's what we experience. But we have our own black Americans that are part of these groups now that will tell you, oh, brother, they, you're wrong, you're wrong. There's no racism. In it. Nigga, I remember you when you used to talk just like I'm talking right now. All of a sudden, you got an Arab accent. I don't buy into that. I find that to be um, acting. Acting. They're, they're acting. They're actors. But you, you have a right to act like that. Just like I have a right to act like or, or, or respond the way I want to respond to racism. So everybody has a right to way to way they want to respond to racism as individuals. But don't ever say that you speak for the collective because you don't speak 
for the people in Cabrini projects. You don't speak for the people in Marcy projects who go through this shit on a daily basis. You may be doing better than them, and that's fine. But please don't say that you speak for these. And those are the people that people like Elijah Muhammad, Nobu Drew Ali, um, Marcus Garvey, all of these type of saviors or people that were wanted to be leaders in leadership, they were coming after the black masses that were underachieving to try to give them something of wisdom that would turn around their condition. And I don't think we as black Americans that are successful have the right to say that their individual experience somehow usurps the reality for the masses. And I think that's where the, the question comes up in the form that it comes up in. Uh, black people are playing uh, the race card or playing victimization. Says who? Right. You know, that's like I shared the conversation with you that I had with someone earlier. Mm -hmm. What I may consider arrogance, other people consider that as, um, what what was the word I used? Confident? Yeah. That's that's what they feel. And, And they can feel that on an individual level. And they can express that. I just think you, you step over the line when you say that that type of confidence is supposedly something that we should all um, have and then we wouldn't experience racism.
Hmm. And how you de- how are you determining them not being successful? Hmm. Uh-huh. Based upon where they live, what they make, income-wise, you know. Yeah. So I don't know that I, I can hear or, or that it has a certain amount of credibility to me if um, this quote-unquote successful black person, you know, Speaking for black folks, I mean, I don't know, somebody might consider me a successful black person, right? Um, you know, I don't necessarily consider myself a successful black person because I don't know how, it, it depends on how you define success. Exactly. You know, because, you know, I know. Where, where where I come from, right? And coming from where, where I come from, you know, maybe I made some leaps and bounds, but in terms of where I want to go, I'm, I, you know, I'm not there. So who's, so who's making a judgment in terms of saying that this person is or is not successful? Let's see. I don't have a degree. So to me, you're successful. Yeah, but I know people with degrees that aren't aren't successful. A degree doesn't define success. Right, but you you know, I understand it doesn't. That's just like, um, how can we say it um, politely? Common sense ain't so common. But you can have a degree, but have no common sense. Hmm. Yeah, and and just because you have a, a degree, it doesn't, it, 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 you know, just like what you just said, um, doesn't mean you have common sense or that you have sense at all. <laughs> so, um, a, a degree, depending on what 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 the degree is in, um. It doesn't make you qualified to speak on all subjects. No. Right? And, and, you know, particularly the level of the degree. Like, you know, you got a bachelor's degree in, I don't know, um, basket weaving. That doesn't make you an intelligent person. And it doesn't make you qualified to speak on certain things. You just have a degree. You know, and you may have a degree that you probably can't even utilize. Yeah. So, 
if you are a shithole person to your family, if you're a shithole person to your, your children, if you're a shithole, shithole person to your wife, you're not successful in my opinion. You might be successful at work. You might make a lot of money. But in terms of being successful, or as you know, a parent. Right. If, if your child says, you know, that you're an asshole, or your wife says that you're an asshole, I don't know that I think that that's successful to me. Uh-huh. Yes, sir. We are at the 34-minute mark, almost 35 minutes. We are 10 minutes over time. Uh, we'll be right back after these messages. When we come back, uh, we'll go to conclusions, analysis, solutions. Um, we're talking about discussions in black power thinking. And when we come back, we're going to get into the afterthoughts and um, the Bernie Sanders meme that is going around the country. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's apropos for the subject matter. And we'll be right back after these messages. And welcome back. We are back. We are back in the effing universe. One hour of black power thinking. And we wanted to move this program right along in our discussion. And um, begin to talking about analytics, solutions, conclusions, afterthoughts. Any of those categories you wish to partake in, Dr. Moore. All right. Um, based on what you heard, we started with. Um, what did we start with? We started with um, bringing up that video, playing the victimization, race, racialization card, and we got into trying to define what black success is, because some people say that they don't experience racism. Usually, the majority of those people are people that are more successful or in um, jobs like police officer. Um, So they don't have to define success by how much money they make or degrees that they have. But for some reason, and their position in life is that um, they don't experience with you niggas experience um so that's where we're talking about can you analyze that (laughs) (laughs) i know i'm putting you on the spot but there's there's got to be this is part of that uh, dissonance that we're talking about right but it just from a black perspective, they're trying to distance themselves from being a victim of racism. Hmm. I don't know that I 
see it the same. Um, I, I think when I talk about uh, cognitive dis- dissonance, I talk about it from the perspective of white folks. Right. And the, re- the reason why white folks um, do it, and I don't know that it's done consciously. Right. I almost feel like um, it's done unconsciously. Um, you know, which is what Freud talked a lot about, was dealing with the unconscious um, and bringing the, the unconscious conscious. Um, so when I talked about cognitive dissonance as it relates to white folks, um, it's something that they do. Um, I think that's unintentional psychologically so that they can be more acceptable of their ancestors, so they can be more acceptable of their grandparents or their parents. So they can easily accept the um, greatness or the um, richness of what their ancestors have left them and the positions that they are in in life as a result of who their um, poor parents were. But they cognitively distance themselves from the negative things that got got their uh, ancestors and their grandparents to the place where they are. So when I talk about cognitive dissonance, I specifically um, talk about it from the perspective of white folks and white folks um, separating themselves from the negativity or the negative things that their ancestors have done, particularly to African Americans and people of color in this country. Indeed. Um, but can the, the same principles be used or applied uh, to different scenarios? I don't think uh, cognitive cognitive dissonance was meant to just describe white folks. It can be used as a tool to describe people that don't want to accept certain things in life. Yeah, yeah, I think absolutely. Um, I mean, again, I, I, I specifically was referring to uh, right. white, but I think that um, a person individually uh that happens with, with individuals also in that um, you can um, only want to accept the positive things about who you are a person, right? And so you can cognitively distance, distance um, yourself from the negative things in who you are, right? So we were just talking about quote-unquote black people who are quote-unquote successful. So you may be successful as a business person, but you may not be successful as a parent. Or you may not be successful as a as a friend or just as an individual. But as a business person you are. But you can distance you, you can cognitively distance yourself from the bad behaviors in which you treat other people. Hmm. And only accept the behavior that um, that is productive and positive about yourself. And can you distance yourself from feeling the effects of racism as if it were something bad or negative that you, you don't want to admit to? Well, I don't know that I think that you can. I think that there's another uh, defense uh, mechanism that Freud used to talk about, the way he talked about um, suppression and repression, right? And the difference between suppression and repression is repression is um, is not intentional, right? So in repression, psychologically, that means something bad happened to you, maybe in your childhood. Uh-huh. And so you, you 
your brain your brain does this automatically. It it, it, it represses that because it's a hurt feeling. So the way that it protects you from that anxiety, you know, and that and that hurt is it automatically pushes it down. Hmm. That's not that's not something that, that, that you do naturally. It's something that your brain does to protect you from the anxiety and the hurt that that comes along with that. Now, that's repression. Suppression is different. Suppression is intentional. Where you intentionally say, I'm not going to do this. You know, I'm intentionally not going to um, deal with these souls or deal with this person, deal with X, Y, and Z. So that's suppression. So suppression and repression are two different So I don't know that. I want to be clear in understanding that, that all three of these things are different things. Cognitive dissonance, repression, and suppression, all those are different things. And so if so to me, like racism is something that someone would have to suppress. Not repress, it, they would have to suppress. It would be mm-hmm. different if there was a, a physical act, right, or psychological act that happened, you know, doing racism where maybe, you know, you got shot or you saw someone get hung or something like that. And in your mind, it, it messed with your mind psychologically enough where you try to repress it. But you're living in modern day and you're saying that racism doesn't doesn't exist, then to me, you are subtracting a reality that you don't want to deal with. Hmm. Um, any thoughts on that, Sister Ebony? You know, I was talking to um, a friend of mine who works with children mm-hmm. who have been victims of um, child rape or forcing children to do things against their will. Wow. In one way she got into that was because her son went through that. And she was saying how she had to get in therapy when the memories start coming back because he is so pressed. Mm-hmm. You know, and when that started coming forth, he couldn't handle that. Wow. Well, she did the right thing parents do. You get your child in therapy mm-hmm. to be able to work through those feelings. But what doctor said about suppression and repression definitely brought that conversation to mind. Mm-hmm. And what about... Because I told her I never doubted that her son was abused. What about this? I didn't think a mother would make those type of things up. Mm-hmm. Or what? a child would make those kind of things up. Granted, they may, but based upon what I know about them personally, I didn't think it was made up. Yep. What about the suppression of racism, any of you? <clears throat> Feeling the effects of racism. Can we suppress that or distance ourselves from that or repress that? You said, can we or do we? 
how how do how does that work um you feel that racism is beneath you as a black person so what do you distance yourself from it suppress yourself from it or repress yourself from it Some people really feel that way. You could see. Okay, so then what's the benefit of feeling that way? Um, <laughs> you, um, that I wouldn't be able to answer. <laughs> I damn sure don't feel that way. <laughs> but right, so, I, so I, I see people that, that feel that way about it. You you can. Like Charles Barkley. You could ask Charles Barkley that. <laughs> There's a lot of black people that are successful that don't 
that are not a fan of Donald Trump, but they don't believe that racism is a factor or shouldn't be a factor for black people. And I don't think they should, they have the right to even say that. Once you get past the individual, that's where I believe that you're correct in saying you have to be careful how you define that. And and that's what I'm saying about some successful black people. Not all. Some successful black people have this notion that we're fucking up because we're just fuck-ups. And that there is no consequence a hundred years after post-slavery that should be fucking us up except that we're, we're losers. And this is coming from black thought. This is not what white people are saying. This is right from our own communities or people. Yeah, but I think that's, I think that's a very ignorant way of thinking. I don't think it's ignorant. I, I think it's just um, what they feel. But what what you feel doesn't define me or the situation that I, that the mass the masses of black people are in. It's just a way to dismiss yeah. the, the reward for them is to d- dismiss their obligation to be concerned of, about about the black masses. That's their reward. They 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 say it doesn't exist because they don't want to have to deal with it. That is correct. That is correct. You can look at a, a person like Candace Owens. We, we could break her down mentally. We can't say what exactly what she's thinking, but I'm I'm pretty sure there's some type of benefit to her saying the things that she say. Like she said that George Floyd deserved exactly what he got. Right. So I mean, so the credibility behind that doesn't—it doesn't hold weight. But so but then she's influencing other black Republicans to take on that mantle of um, negative thoughts about black people. I don't, I don't know that she is. So you you're saying that uh, Candace Owens don't have black followers? You know what she bragged about? But let me finish. Let you finish your point. You know what she bragged about? She bragged about 170 million people viewed her comment about George Floyd uh, deserving exactly what he got. She bragged about that. So out of those 170 million, there you don't think there's a couple of black people? Absolutely, I do. But, oh. but 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 what I'm saying is, there were 72 plus million people that voted for Donald Trump, right? Mm-hmm. So what 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 I'm saying in that is that you are going to have 
or want to feel that way. And you, you can't change them. They're, they're going to think and feel that way because they want to think and feel that way. Hmm. So I don't know that, so I don't know that, that I think that Ken, Candace Owens influenced them. I think she, like Trump, just became a face for that type of thinking. Right. Which is, which is different from saying that, um, I want to influence them or control what they're thinking. That's not what I'm saying. I I would never say that. You you can think and believe what you want. It's the point of making the statement that this is the reason why, why black people are failing. That is irresponsible. Even if it's coming from a black person. I'm not you stop that right there because I'm not I'm not trying to unify anybody. I am just saying that anyone who says that, particularly black people that say that, have have a reward that 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 want that makes them want to distance themselves from the effects of racism. Even two hundred years after the fact or one hundred years after the fact, they do not want to be associated with racism in any way. And so they make statements like that. Yeah, but again, I think that you could make that statement, but it's a very ignorant statement. Right. Right. So, I mean, and I think when you hear people like Candace Owens or Armstrong Williams or Clarence Thomas, I mean, I don't think you you can get rid of them. I, I mean, they they just never there. wanted to. But I I think they should be able to say whatever they want want to say, and I don't want to get rid of them. I just want to want people to understand why they think the way that they do. There is a psychological term for that, and it it's about distancing themselves from the stigma of racism. They feel powerful in some way, whether it be a cop or whether it be somebody with a whole bunch of money. The cop doesn't have money, but he can distance himself from um, he can say in his in his thoughts and actions that he doesn't experience racism because he's a cop. Mm -hmm. He's a black cop. And he's and he's telling black people. Oh, y'all need to stop committing crimes and you wouldn't get shot. You see the ignorance in the statement. And they have the right to say it. However, the fact that they use that as a broad terminology for the reason that we're in trouble being something other than the systemic racism that we're facing, that we get shot that way. They're saying... It's because you niggas commit crime. And so you deserve it. So it's an ignorant statement. They have the right to say it. Those things I'm not questioning. I'm just saying the there is a definition for what makes them say the things that they say. I don't. But I don't think. 
but but I think what's not fair is to make it psychological. Because I don't think it's psychological. Right, and that's what I was about to say. I was about to say it it can't be defined in psychological terms, but it's defined right. <laughs> in MF Dog terms. <laughs> This is my understanding of why they say the things that they do. It may not be yeah. psychological at all, but um, I see it. Well, in in the nation, we had uh, the same type of um, um, diction or, or, or way of speaking about people like that. They called them the handkerchief head Negroes. It wasn't right. Handkerchief head Negroes. It wasn't right. It was it probably ignorant in itself. But um, it's the way we describe people that didn't believe that racism was affecting them. Like niggas, you crazy. It's it's certainly not going to be found in a in a psych psychology textbook. <laughs> but that's just the way we talked amongst each other. Right. We've always group of that that thought that way, and I think we always will. Hmm. Um, particularly if it's beneficial to a particular person or a particular group of people, hmm. uh, it makes sense to me that that, that, that happens. But I, I don't. I, I know for a fact that that's not necessarily psychological or diagnosable psychologically. Excellent you know, word, diagnosable. <laughs> I like that yeah. word. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so, because if, if you want to pay Candace Owens or Armstrong Williams or Clarence Thomas or whoever, if you want to <laughs> pay them by that, speak that way, you know, it makes sense that they would speak that way. I will give them handkerchiefs. <laughs> And I'm glad we uh, had a little laugh in this break. We're at the 25-minute mark in DF and Universe. Um, that concludes our podcast for the day. But I'm going to ask my uh, hosts and co-hosts if they would like to do a bonus round. We are at I'm the... I'm going to listen in on the bonus round. Okay. So um, you 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 bound out. <laughs> I'm I'm ear hustling on the bonus round. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> what about you, sir? <laughs> Honestly, thought this was a bonus round, but uh. No, cause we still yeah. got. T- you, you sure you don't want to say nothing about the Bernie meme before you go, uh, Sister Ebony? Uh-uh. I'm just glad he wasn't Obama. <laughs> and on that note, we'll be right back after these messages. Peace. Peace. 
And we are back once again in the FN universe. We've had uh, two guests on tonight. We lost one and we may lose another <laughs> before the night is over. <laughs> we speak of them affectionately. <laughs> um, we're going to lighten up the subject a little tonight. Um... Because I saw the funniest shit I've seen in a long time. Bernie Sanders sitting on the Capitol steps with some muffins on and wrapped up like he was cold as hell. It's like he's, a, if you remember uh, Richard Price um, at his, um, one of his family members' funeral. And he joked about uh, <laughs> the preacher taking too damn long with the prayer to bury his, his relative. And he said, shit, hurry up, it's cold out here. <laughs> that nigga dead. We, we, we ain't trying to die with him. We ain't trying to freeze to death, nigga. You got to end that prayer and get the hell up out of here. So that was the look <laughs> when I saw Bernie and them damn muffins. I was like, <laughs> he like, yo, y'all niggas didn't invite, uh, make me president. <laughs> so I'm going to just sit here in this goddamn chair. <laughs> and y'all go ahead. The, um, well, I, I, I tell you, I mean, I'll I, I be honest with you. <laughs> I, I can please. Sit down and. <laughs> oh, you lucky you were standing. <laughs> Bruh, it was so cold, man. I mean, yeah, man, that that shit ain't no joke. at least like four or five hours. Well, that's the thing, but they was giving all these pre-speeches. Right. <laughs> and you, you like, know. you wishing in your mind, would you shut the fuck up? Let's get this shit over. Well, I'm, well, I'm going to tell you what I learned from the first inauguration. <laughs> what I learned from the first inauguration was don't go early. Hmm. Don't go early. Hmm. So, Timed it perfectly. Yeah. Now, mind you, my wife 
I know she was hurting. She almost died. But she refused to go home, right? Quick, black people get cold. Oh hell no! And you don't, you didn't see that going through Bernie Sanders' mind, <laughs> sitting in that chair. <laughs> trying to hear all of this. <laughs> Wake me when this shit is over. <laughs> and, and his chair was just like way away from the proceedings. That's what was funny about that shit. But I seen, I seen one meme where they had <laughs> Bernie. You ever seen MMA where the, where the guy gets you in the arm lock and tries to snap your arm? <laughs> They they had superimposed Bernie <laughs> holding this guy in that arm lock <laughs> with the mittens on. It looked so fucking real. <laughs> Y'all done gone too damn far with these damn Bernie Sanders memes. But it he's gonna be an icon now. <laughs> an icon living like Will Will Smith's son song said. <laughs> It's good to laugh, brother, because I had a hard week. A hard week. <laughs> and I'm not going to get into it, brother. It's just been <laughs> rough. So this is my moment of uh, relief to have a laugh with some people that I respect and highly favor. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting, brother, because before I came on, Come downstairs and he was like, uh, uh, Dad, so can we revisit this conversation? Uh, <laughs> you know, he always tempting uh, you, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I, you know, again, you know, I, I appreciate, uh, like I said to you last night, I appreciate, um, bringing scholarship, right, and challenge, right. You know, to and it's interesting how my kids approach me because they they approach me um, <laughs> in, in scholarship form and they approach me in um, uh, 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 having um, visual presentation. Uh, <laughs> you know, presentation, and they approach me in having um, evidence and hmm. why they feel the way that they feel. Hmm. They're not messing around. Well, you, you know, in, in raising them, uh, I didn't know that I was having the effect that I was having. I was just trying to do the best that I could. 
mm-hmm. and father. Mm-hmm. And so I was always trying to alleviate um, uh, superficial things and, and, and not being um, sus- substantial, you know, in your thought process and all that other stuff. So now I've created this atmosphere where my kids feel like they, they if they want to have a, a substantial conversation, that they need to come with empirical data. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in a conversation. Yes, sir. Uh, or, or at least in a conversation. And so, um, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, bro, but, <laughs> you know, sometimes they'll come to me and say, well, do I need to have a PowerPoint to have this conversation? <laughs> <laughs> to <laughs> ask for <laughs> five outs. <laughs> Right, right. If, if, I'm just being facetious. Yeah, but, right. But it, it just depends on what it is they, they want to ask. Right. right. But that's a beautiful um, thing, man. I, I'm still impressed by that. Because my dumb ass children. Woo! Lord have mercy. I'm like, y'all still catching L's? Y'all don't know what, how this game is played. Y'all over the 25 uh, year mark, and y'all still catching L's. On dumb stuff. Dumb stuff, man. I'm like, oh, man, I didn't raise some fools. Oh, man. <laughs> hey, ignorant, you hear me? Lord have mercy. But, um, I gotta love him. That's, that's yeah, what counts. That's what counts. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first part started off with, you know, they initially wanted to have, uh, they wanted to get a dog, <laughs> right? And I, you know, I, you know, I'm not an animal fan. Right, I'm, I'm me like, either. Like, hell no. And so, um, and so I had shut down the whole argument of having a dog. <laughs> Concur.
think you've researched this enough. <laughs> so I think she must have had a conversation with her brother. Because her brother comes back and says, Hey, um, Karate is you thinking about allowing her to have a bunny rabbit? Um, you know, can I have this conversation with you? And I said, You you can you can have the conversation. I'm not saying yes or no, we can have the conversation. <laughs> psychology they're at the top of the firm <laughs> so keep that in mind brother 
And we are at the 4.32 a.m. mark in DF and Universe. And 16 minutes into our bonus round. And um, we're going to wrap it up to last thoughts. Uh, we'll try to get out of this church by 4.44 a.m. Um, was there anything else that we wanted to talk about? Anything else that you wanted to um, talk about before we wrap it up? We're going to go to closing statements <laughs> as a lawyer <laughs> in a minute. But uh, any other subjects you wanted to bring up? No, but I think um, there's no thoughts off the top of my head. Um, I just wanted to, you know, try to light the night um, as we were ending this. Um, <laughs> I, you know what? I don't know if I said the second part of the conversation. Mm-hmm. So that was the first part of the conversation I had. When the second part of the conversation I had with my son was, he said, uh, so that um, the, the other thing I wanted to talk to you about was um, uh, this new girlfriend that, that he, um, is having it or potential new girlfriend and he said um, just wonder what your what your feelings are now what I'm appreciative about uh, Khalid is that <laughs> when, when he meets new friends he comes to me and says um, you know dad you know this is a, a new person I met I think you know you know this person is a friend I want you to know who this person is mm-hmm before he invites him to the house he always comes to me and says that uh you know um you know this is my you know i have a friend friend this friend is named xyz and um i just want to let you know before i invite them to the house mm-hmm. and then we'll he and i will have a conversation so um a couple months back before the covid happened he said he was dating this girl and he wanted to take her out, right? And so he told me a little bit about her. And he wanted to know what my um, opinion was of this girl that mm-hmm. he was going to take out. Well, that didn't happen um, because COVID happened. So tonight he said, uh, Dad, I'm trying this again. Um, <laughs> I was like, it was this finale. Like, it just doesn't work and he was like, well, uh, so, I, you know, I'm, I'm got this new girl, I'm new female friend that I'm dating, and I think it's going to go a little further. Um, so I want to let you know that I'm, you know, considering going out with her. And what do you think? What questions do you have? So, of course, I was like, well, what's her name? Where is she from? Who's her parents? How's her parents feel about it? You know, so you know those type of things. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we went into all that those those questions, and then he said, "You know, do you have any other questions for me?" And I was like, "I said no, Khalid. I think that uh, I, you know, try to do my best with raising you. I think you're respectful. I think you're responsible. I think that you know, you know how to treat women. Mm-hmm. So I'm not worried about." you treating her a certain way but um how does her parents feel about xyz 
Mm. And so, that um, with that, let me ask you a question. What do you know? Um, how do you know? When do you know when you're in love? <laughs> right. And so I said, I said, well, you want me to tell you the first time I fell in love? And he said, I don't know if I want to really hear that because I, I, um, when you know old well, story. He said, well, he said, now, you, you, you know, you said that you was a player. And I don't think that's cool. Right? I don't, I don't think that's cool to be a player. Right? Like, um, so, I said, so, he said, what makes a man your age um, know when he's in love? Mm-hmm. He said, there's plenty of men my age that still don't know about love. That's right. <laughs> You're looking at one of them. <laughs> I said, so, um, so he, he, he was asking me about um, being in love and what that felt like. And so I started talking to him about me and my friends and growing up and what we considered love or what we thought was love. And he was like, I don't know if your friends were really that helpful to you did that. <laughs> and I said, you know, some of my friends that are my age are still still players. Hmm. So, From the you know. Himalayas. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I, so, so I said, well, look, I said, well, let me. I, I, I don't really. He said, I don't really want to hear your stories about you being a player because that that's, you know, that's not good. That's not productive. <laughs> and I was like, dang, did I raise this kid? You know, like. He's talking to me, you know, in a way that that I would have never talked, you know, right. about, you know, messing with women. Like, At that age. Like, man, cool. <laughs> you know, you playing women ain't cool. And I was like, hey, man, I ain't trying to. It's cool. I'm just telling you that I was. <laughs> like, man, I ain't. He's looking at me like, man, I ain't proud of you for that. And I was like... Oh, He's been talking to his mother again. <laughs> so, I said, so I said, I said, here's the thing, Claire. You'll know when you're in love, when you start to spend a significant amount of time with someone. Because it's the time that you spend that makes you feel a certain way. And if you're not spending time with someone in a certain way, you're not going to feel those feelings. <laughs> but spending time with someone will create the feelings of love. Mm. I said, so I can tell you right now that if you think that you're in love, that you're not. Because this is COVID and you ain't been nowhere. Mm. And neither that she. And you ain't in love. <laughs> but I said, I said, but what I do want you to understand, you know, is to take time for love. You're young. Don't rush it. You got plenty of time. Hmm. I said, you know, be young, enjoy being young. Don't don't rush love. It will come. And even when it comes the first time, that doesn't mean it's gonna be the, the last time. Hmm. Right? And then I said it, it is an evolving process. Hmm. You know, and, and if you do it maturely, you begin to understand that whatever the first love was, that it 
was a teaching lesson to prepare you for the next level of love. Hmm. And so he was like, That's deep. You know, okay, Dad, okay, okay. <laughs> so that was kind of my pre conversation coming in this conversation. Was like, <laughs> that was deep. He's talking like a pretty young, responsible young man. That is pretty deep. We'll see, bro. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. We'll, I, you he, know, he's on the right um, path. Say that again? He's on the right path. I hope so, bro. Um, <laughs> I, I've tried to instill some things, bro. But, uh, you know, it, it's, it's different, man. Because, you know, I, I, I tried to make the sacrifice in life and, and making changes so that I could be there for them all, you know, all the days of, of, of their lives because what I wanted was I didn't want them to ever look back at their past in their life and not see me. Hmm. You know, I, I, I wanted every day of their life from the time that they to, to the time that they left my house is that I was always there. Hmm. Well, I, I didn't want to miss a moment, right? A day, an hour of them ever experiencing something with me not being there. Wow. And that was big to me. So I, I I was like, you know, I'm not going to trade. There's nothing else in life that I'm going to trade for not being there. Even if it was an argument with, with me and my wife, I wasn't mm. going to leave. Mm. You know, I was going to be there every day because I, whenever they woke up, whenever they went to bed, it was always going to be a memory of me. Wow. And so every vacation, every day of their life, I wanted to make sure that when they had that memory, when they looked in that picture book, dad was there. That's amazing, man. That's something to strive for. I got one more kid left in my bowels somewhere. <laughs> Maybe I'll make a change and do the right thing, brother. We are at 4.42 a.m. Closing remarks. For me or for you or for Sister Emily? For everybody. We trying to get out of this church at 4.44. <laughs> and we still ain't collect the offering. <laughs> like they used to do at the mosque. <laughs> Close the door, brother. <laughs> Ain't nobody leaving till we give offering. <laughs> Is that right, Muhammad? Yes, sir. <laughs> you got one minute. <laughs> Uno momento, por favor.